Hi, I'm John Niehaus, Director of Program Development for the National Association of Flight Instructors, welcoming you back to another episode of the NAFI More Right Rudder Podcast, the podcast for flight instructors on the go. And today I'm welcoming back Keith Roxo, and uh, he's actually going to do the second part of a two-part series with us, which is also going to be paired up with the January this month's Mentor Live. Um, and uh, Keith is here to sort of talk about the importance of pilot medicals, of course, and making sure that the process is done in a very deliberate way, um, while also advising us as flight instructors the important piece that we play in this, not just for us to be successful, but for our students to be successful as well. And uh, Keith is a Top Gun trained adversarial pilot. He's got over 2,000 hours in high performance aircraft like F 18s and F 16s and several other models. He's a military instructor. He's also an FAA HIMS AME and the founder of Wingman Med. Um, Keith, welcome back. Thank you for having me. And so today, uh, what we wanted to talk about was sort of how the FAA looks at a pilot sort of on paper and how that relates to the medical certificate and sort of the certification process uh, when it comes to all of that. So um, I'm going to let you kind of fill in the gaps because I think I'm probably at the same knowledge level as the instructors we're trying to teach. So uh, let's talk about medicals. Well, I think one of the issues is that most people, they think that the AME is, you know, kind of representing the FAA and they are uh, from a certain point of view, they have been designated by the FAA to make certain decisions that have been kind of pushed down to their level. But there are many things where the AME is not able to make a decision. Either he is lacking certain information or um, the FAA just requires, even if he has all the information, it requires a decision by the FAA. And so what happens is while the AME is examining you, that might be well and good for a knee problem or an ankle problem. But if there's a mental health problem or an endocrine problem, he can't just look at you in a 10 or 15 minute encounter and know the answer to that question. So mm -hmm. that's when documentation comes in or that's when the FAA requires specific documentation to be sent to them. And they put out a lot of different guides um, on what information is needed. And so this kind of takes us to, you know, the FAA looks at you only on paper when it comes to medical certificates, because if your information has to be submitted to the FAA for further review, well, that's all they're looking at is the information submitted. They are not physically looking at you. You do not get a personal invite to go to Oklahoma City and sit there and talk with one of the FAA doctors and be examined by an FAA doctor. They are just looking at the paperwork associated with you and your medical conditions. Mm -hmm. And I think this is kind of where, you know, CFIs can play a role. CFIs are all about, you know, teaching and prepping. And, you know, as you get closer and closer to a check ride, there's a little bit more, you know, kind of test prep type stuff involved. And while I don't expect any CFI to know exactly how to prepare somebody for a medical what I think is important is being that touch point for a student who has questions like, hey, what do I need to know about getting my medical? And in that space, they can talk about, well, there is this document called the AME Guide. Um, I don't know how to read it, but I know it's available online and you can search for medical conditions on it. Um, or there are specific conditions that have certain criteria associated with them. Uh, a lot of those are grouped into um these things that are called khakis, conditions AMEs can issue. 
And that goes back to that paperwork. It's a known condition with a relatively mild profile that is fairly common. And per the FAA, if you arrive at your appointment with all of the right documentation and it's all in the correct windows, you can get issued your medical at the exam. There are other things called uh, decision tools that are handed out uh, you know, in the guide or via other methods to the AMEs. So these are things that a CFI can know. There's an AME guide, there are khaki protocols, there are decision tools. So if you have a medical condition that you are concerned about, it's worth starting to look into some of those. Now, not the CFI necessarily looking into those, but at least being able to relay that information. And that kind of brings us back to the paperwork that goes to the FAA. If they want to see certain labs, those labs have to be there. If they want to see certain tests from specific doctors or you know, radiology reports, then those documents have to get there. If those things are not there when the FAA reviews their file, well, then you're not getting your medical. Now, it doesn't mean you'll never get your medical. It just means you're not getting it right then. And then typically what will happen is they'll send you a letter in the mail and it will say, hey, thank you for your application. This is all the stuff we want to see. And they typically give you 60 days to reply. Well, by the time you actually receive that letter, now you probably have 50 or so days left to do it. It makes it very tough for people to get into their doctors, get all that stuff done and get it back to the FA in that time frame. Um, and so that's kind of why we focus so much on, you know, on preparing for that exam like a check ride. Yeah. You know, let's talk a little bit about this AME guide, because I think that there's a lot of pilots uh, that that aren't aware that this exists. Mm-hmm. Um where would I find it and and what kind of information is contained within that that maybe sort of the the average pilot applying for a medical would find useful? So if you Google FAA AME guide, uh, the official name is the Guide for Aviation Medical Examiners, and it is viewable as a PDF. It is updated, mm-hmm. I believe, 11 or 12 times a year. Uh, so not every single month, but most months they publish an update. Um, so we generally just work from the one that's on the website because it's always the most current. Oh, and okay. It's a PDF document. Now, it is written for doctors. So some of the stuff is a little bit hard to understand. Some of the stuff is completely not related to the pilot themselves. It's how you have to have your office set up, the types of equipment that you have to have. So some of that stuff is not related to the pilot interaction part of the uh, the medical but there are medical conditions in there, it can be somewhat difficult to search. So if you have certain conditions, we'll use one type of word. Medicine's one of those weird things. There's like three words for almost everything. So let's take atrial fibrillation as an example. So atrial fibrillation is one way you know, to say it. That's the full name. AFib is another common way. If you search for AFib in the AME guide, you will not find it. But if you search for atrial fibrillation, you are more likely to find it. If you search for fibrillation, you are even more likely to find it. However, it might fall under arrhythmia, which is its own thing, because atrial fibrillation is a type of arrhythmia. So this is where it can be a little difficult for an individual who's not a physician to search the document. It is over 300 pages long, so scrolling page by page can be difficult, Uh, but there are sections. So If you can find a condition that you have in there, it will provide some pretty good guidance on on what you need to bring with you. If you understand that, that's a different question. Um, And if it's if it's not something that you understand, chances are your doctor will understand it. 
that becomes another issue. You print that page or those multiple pages out, bring them to your doctor. Sometimes this kind of goes back to the, you know, the first podcast we did where the importance of having a good doctor, you might bring that to your doctor and say, Hey, this is what I need from the FA. And then your doctor says, ah, you don't really need that. Um, well, no, you do. Uh, you may not need it medically. You need it FAA wise. Yeah, no, I I like that because I mean a lot of times those general physicians, as we talked about previously, they they may not have a full understanding of what it is that you actually need. Um, but you know between MedExpress and and um, you know maybe even talking to your instructor if you're completely unfamiliar with aviation and you've never been to an AME before, hopefully you can kind of get some of those answers. But let's say that you're not. Let's say that you're. It's your first time filling out MedExpress, and we know that there's yes or no questions on there. Has this ever happened to you? Has that ever happened to you? Are there things that you could have that are going wrong that aren't covered under those questions that you might not even find out till you show up, unless you do some some research in advance that that might be limiting for you? Absolutely. There's certain things on there, like, have you ever, you know, lost consciousness? If you cannot adequately explain that to the AME, it, that's going to cause a problem. So for example, um, I'm trying to think back. I, I had what's called a vasovagal syncope. So that's kind of the, the big fancy word. I passed out. Uh, I passed out one time in flight school when I was getting a procedure wrong. This is military flight school. I'm up against the wall. You know, I'm surrounded by like 20 instructors all kind of screaming at me. And uh, and I just I kept repeating the wrong procedure over and over and over. And then, um, you know, but meanwhile, I'm standing at attention. So my legs are locked. So now this is a relatively common, you know, thing where people standing at per in parades for a long period of time, not moving their with their knees locked. You trap blood in your legs. You're not getting enough blood cycling through your whole body. And so you can have what's called, you know, a vasovagal syncope and down you go. Right. Hmm. Um, now, is that a concern in flight? Not necessarily. You're generally not standing at attention with your knees locked in flight for, you know, 30 minutes at a time. Um, similarly, if someone had a an episode where uh, they were known to be dehydrated um, and had an episode of passing out, well, that is easy to attribute to a cause that is unlikely to occur again. So if you can explain that adequately, and especially if you have medical documentation to back that up, uh, and the more recent it is, the more likely you are to need good quality medical documentation, um, then the more likely you are to get through in a smooth process. But if you show up at an exam, you know, if you mark yes to MedExpress on, you know, have you ever lost consciousness? Yes. And you show up to your AME and you cannot explain it to him. He has no choice but to, you know not pass you on your exam because you have an unexplained loss of consciousness, which is a big deal to the FAA because they don't want people just passing out, you know, while flying an airplane. So really what it comes down to is risk. Yeah. And the reason why the paperwork matters so much and why the FAA wants to see things that your normal doctor doesn't necessarily think is required is because they're not looking at how to take care of you. They're looking at what are the odds of you having a problem in flight. And so that's why some of the differences occur. 
Are there, well, I guess I've got two questions. The first would be, is there a statute of limitations for any of that? Um, you know, you hear the, you hear the horror stories of pilots that say, oh yeah, you know, I, I passed out when I was four and I'm 55 and the FAA still gives me a hard time about it. Like, is that actually a true story or is that a kind of a, an, a fishing tale of, of pilots that have been passed down from one guy to the next? That's that's probably a fishing tale, because if you've adequately reported it previously, then, you know, you do have to continue to report it because there is no statute of limitations. So there is when you're filling out MedExpress, they want to know your basic demographic information. They want to know what medications you are currently taking. They don't really care if you were taking something 10 years ago. They want to know what you're currently taking. They want to know what medical conditions you've had at any time in your life. Now, do you need to report that one time you had a sore throat 15 years ago? No, not necessarily. What they're looking for are significant, you know, they have, like you said, those specific medical questions. And then they want to know kind of all the real major diagnoses. And there is a catch-all question, any other illness, disability, or surgery. And this kind of catches people. Sometimes people will say, well, I didn't know I had to report my sleep apnea. They didn't ask me about sleep apnea. Well, they kind of did in that other illness, disability, or surgery category. So that's kind of their catch-all. You know, we, we did ask you. And then you have to list the last three years of medical appointments. You also have to list if you've been separated from the military for medical reasons, if you have disability benefits. And these are all ways to jog your memory. As a doctor, I will have a patient sometimes and I will say, all right, what, what medical conditions do you have? Oh, I don't have any. All right, well, are you taking any medications? Oh yeah, I take uh, Lozartan. And I say, okay, so you have high blood pressure? And they're like, oh yeah. And it's not that they tried to lie to me that they don't have high blood pressure. They just have had high blood pressure for so long and the medication, the medication manages their blood pressure. So in their mind, well, I don't have high blood pressure anymore because I'm on medication. But in reality, they do carry a diagnosis of high blood pressure or hypertension, mm. and that's why they're on the medication. So that individual isn't intentionally trying to deceive me, but by asking multiple questions, medications, medical history, disability benefits, separation from the military for medical reasons, that those are various ways to jog your memory on the various medical conditions that you might have that need to be reported to the FAA. Well, and that I'm glad you mentioned that because that kind of brings me back to sort of the original question of, you know, if you go through MedExpress and you answer all those questions, are there things when you go to your actual medical appointment that would disqualify you? And I, that, I assume just because of the nature of human health, there has to be a, a plethora mm -hmm. of those things. But like there's going to be pilots out there that would assume, well, if it was a disqualifier, they would have asked me that in MedExpress and I would have known it right away. And the answer to that has got to be no. So like where, where do you draw the line as a pilot or prospective pilot in, in knowing what could disqualify you before you show up? So there are specifically disqualifying conditions that are mandated by CFR. So okay. if you have one of those conditions, you know you're going to have some serious work to do. Uh, any other type of condition that runs the risk of either sudden or insidious incapacitation, uh, anything that runs the risk of significant fatigue or mind altering, you know, or consciousness altering, like uh, sedating medications or you know just really potent medications, think like opioids, 
chemotherapy, anything like that, that is likely to cause a problem. So those kinds of things, fatigue is one of the leading causes of accidents. So that's why anything that causes fatigue is going to be questionable. And it doesn't mean you can't fly. Again, let's go back to sleep apnea as an example. If you have untreated, horrific sleep apnea, well, you probably are tired all the time. <laughs> and so they don't want you flying airplanes. Um, if you have significant but well-treated sleep apnea, when you can show them, look at look at my sleep results based on the machine that I'm using, they're like, oh, great. This guy's sleeping like a champ. We're not worried about him. And that's where some people, they, they get a little defensive and they're like, well, I don't want the FAA to know. It's like, well, the FAA just wants to know you're fine. Um, what they don't want to know is they don't want to know you have a problem and you're not taking care of it. Well, that's what they don't want to know. So what they what they do want to know is that you have a problem and it's being treated. Uh, if you have a problem and it's not being treated, well, then, you know, they're not necessarily going to be interested in letting you fly until you get it treated properly. Mm. And a lot of this, there are many ways that this plays out. Um, heart attack. You can fly after a heart attack, not right away. And I think a lot of people would be happy to know that there is a pretty rigorous protocol to return to flight after having had a heart attack. Um, you know, that's kind of one of the comic book type things that you see, right? Where the passengers look up in the front and the, you know, the pilots pretending to have a heart attack and slumping over and everyone's freaking out. Nobody wants that for real. So if somebody does have a heart attack, there are a lot of steps that have to be, you know, gone through in order to return to getting a medical, which is appropriate. But the point is you can get back. As long mm -hmm. as your heart recovers and you can show the FAA that you've met all of the guidelines necessary. And this is kind of where it, it comes down to what's medically necessary versus what the FAA wants from a risk analysis standpoint. For a first class medical or an unrestricted second class medical, they want a rather invasive procedure to get eyeballs on your heart from the inside and make sure that things are, are actually doing well after any procedure that was performed. That's something that, you know, medicine, they think is a little too high risk and a little unnecessary. Well, it is if you're just walking around. It's not if you're carrying around, you know, a couple hundred people. So if I'm uh, a potential pilot and I'm listening to this and I know that I might have uh, a condition that's, you know, let's assume that it's it's something that they can eventually get a medical for. Um, you know, you've mentioned several times about documentation and talking to your primary care physician and things like that in a very generic or general term, like what are the kinds of things that I should be writing down or, or collecting or preparing um, prior to to going into my medical? So that's a little difficult to say because it's going to depend on each individual and what those conditions are. So mm -hmm. I think what's important is to have a good relationship with your physician so that, uh, and ideally one that has good documentation practices. And you can take a look at the MedExpress. One of the things we have on our website is a MedExpress simulator. So if you've never filled out MedExpress before, you can go to the simulator and you know plug in all the information. It doesn't cost anything to use it. And if you find yourself checking a bunch of yes answers, well, then you might want to start thinking, okay, I'm checking yes answers. Why am I checking yes answers? What is my diagnosis? 
let me look up the AME guide and see if I can find that diagnosis in the AME guide and see what it says I need to bring. Mm -hmm. That's kind of one way to do it. Uh, another way to do it is if you fill out that MedExpress simulator and you would like, you know, myself or one of my other aerospace medicine doctors to review your answers, uh, that is a $50 charge. And we can review those answers and say, hey, based on the information you provided, you're going to make it through without too much difficulty. Or based on the information you provided, there's going to be more information necessary. Take a look at, you know, this protocol, you know, this khaki protocol or this khaki protocol. Um or it's going to be something like, hey, based on the information provided, you're going to have significant difficulty getting through your medical. Um, you're going to need to do a lot of prep work, that, that kind of stuff. So we can kind of give somebody feedback on, on how to prepare for the rest of it. And that doesn't necessarily mean they need one of our full services, um, but we can let them know, hey, this is going to require a little bit of work. Well, and, and I'm glad you brought it up because I, I think it's important that we do talk a little bit about Wingman Med and sort of understand what it is and what you guys do and, and how it's important to this process, especially if you think that there are going to be any any issues with uh, achieving the medical. Um, Keith, tell me a little bit about Wingman Med. You said the website. Let's talk about that and let's point everybody in the right direction here. Sure. The website is wingmanmed.com. And what we are is, you know, myself and, and my partner, Dan Monlux, we started off as F-18 pilots in the Navy, both, both of us before going to medical school and becoming aerospace medicine doctors. So we used to be afraid of medical, just like everybody else. And then once we became doctors, we realized, oh, we didn't really need to be that afraid. We just needed to be more prepared. The problem is, how do you study for a medical exam? If you don't know how to study for something, it becomes very difficult. And that's where that's kind of where we stepped in. We realized that once we knew, you know, what the pilot point of view was, and now we know all the rules on the FAA side, um, we know what needs to be done to study. And really what it is, is all about that prep. So we do a couple of things. We have that MedExpress simulator uh, on our website. We do have a medication lookup tool. And now that's not 100% comprehensive. It's, it's as comprehensive as we can make it based on what we know from the FAA, uh, because the FAA does not put out a comprehensive list. And it's not entirely their fault. It's medications are used for different things for different reasons and different doses. Um, new medications are coming out all the time. So it's just very difficult uh, for them to make something like that. Um, the other thing we do is if you do have a medical issue that is going to cause or potentially cause a delay in your medical certification, that's really where we come in. That's what we call our record review and case preparation service. So if you tell me, hey, I have this condition, I looked at the AME guide, it says I need a whole bunch of things that I don't understand. How do I get through this as quickly as possible? Now, the first thing I'll say, nobody truly needs wingman med. You can go submit your MedExpress, go to your AME, he will defer you, the FAA will come back and they will say, these are the things that we want you to get. Did they send it to you in a way that is easy for you to read and understand? No, they do not. Um, you know, so we're kind of like a pilot medical translator is what we are. So we can tell you what you need before you go to the exam. And this depends, right? If you're a pilot who flies for a living and a loss of your medical means a loss of pay, that's kind of a big deal. Um, if you are even a, just a private pilot who owns your own airplane, how much money do you spend on your airplane, your hangar, your insurance to not be able to fly it? 
that mm-hmm. can be very frustrating, right? You're paying all this money and you don't get to use your own aircraft that you have. And so people just have to decide, is it worth the cost to use a service like ours in order to get through the process as expeditiously as possible? In general, if you just show up to the exam unprepared, it's going to take probably six to 10 months to get your medical. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now that's assuming you have an issue that is that you know, has to be deferred because you didn't have everything prepared in advance. In general, we can reduce that time to zero to four months. My goodness. So it's a pretty significant time savings for most people. Yeah. I mean, speaking personally, I, uh, I actually have a special issuance medical. Um, and I've been blessed in the sense that like, for me, the process has not been that bad. Although I've had, I've had some, some really good help in making sure that it was set up in the way that needed to be set up. Um, but things that I've learned along the way are, are the importance of making sure that, you know, like you've mentioned already, like documentation of the things that I need to do. Um, but also something that I didn't even know existed was, um, you know, doctor's notes. And I'm not saying like doctor's notes in the fact that I want to get out of kickball, but like, um, you know, here is a complete summary of everything that happened during the, the last trip to, you know, the doctor of, of this right. particular reason. Um, and just having those things has changed the amount of frustration that I've had to go through in, in, you know, making sure that this continues into perpetuity. Um, and as just a regular person or regular pilot, most of the time you don't even know to ask for that. Cause when I go to ask the physicians for it, they go, oh, yeah, we've got that. We do that every time. Well, okay. How come nobody told me about this? So those are the kinds of resources I'm sure that you can educate the pilots on to make sure that they know to grab when they get, when they have an opportunity for it. Right. And with that, doctors write those notes. They are typically not to the detailed level that the FAA wants. Like you said, the FAA wants kind of a complete summary of the whole thing that happened. Now, Mm -hmm. let me sidebar for a second. The first time you get that special issuance, that's the really hard one. Many special issuances will have ongoing, you know, annual or every two year requirements. Those are typically dramatically less than the original requirements, Mm -hmm. but they are kind of update. Like, hey, we want an update on the status of this condition. But that first one is really kind of the big, the big ticket. You got to get everything in there. And so you talked about the summary of the condition. And so most doctor notes are what what I'll describe as an update note. So if you're seeing the same doctor for a condition for six or eight months, you get diagnosed and you keep going back to them for updates. We're getting things tweaked. We're getting things better. Okay, now you're good to go. Every subsequent note is what's called an update note. So it doesn't contain all the information from the history. And the FAA does not want 50 pages of history. They want one complete note that summarizes the entire care up to this point. Mm. And then the recommendations and the treatment plan going forward. So while yes, doctors write the notes, they're not always writing every note to meet the requirements of the FAA. And this is really just an efficiency standpoint. Right now, the FAA is only manned at about 75% for their physicians. They're just really having a hard time getting folks in there. It's a lot of the economy is doing well. And so some folks just don't wanna work for the government or, you know, they're not, or they're doctors and they don't even know that that's an option. And so, you know, they're kind of stuck with trying to make their process more efficient. So what they can't do, if you want to get through the process faster, 
a way to get through the process faster is absolutely not to flood them with 200 pages of documents when five pages would have would have sufficed. And so that kind of puts the onus on the pilot to talk to their doctor. Hey, this is what I need in a note. And it also has to be no older than 90 days. That's the other thing. When the FAA is certifying you for a medical, it's not like your pilot's license. The pilot's license does not have an expiration date or your correction, your pilot certificate does not have an expiration date, but your medical does. So they're only cert they're only certifying you for a specific period of time. Well, if they're certifying you for the next six months, they do not care about documentation necessarily from five years ago. They want to know how that medical condition is doing right now. So they set a 90-day limit. There are a few caveats to that. But for the most part, 90 days is the maximum age that they want to see something. And so that kind of plays into the, the preparation as well. So what needs to be written? What labs need to be done? What other studies need to be done? What historical records might need to be obtained? And then what needs to be detailed in that current note that can be no, no longer than 90 days? And those are all the things that we help discuss with a pilot and, and really lay it out very specifically for them. And I think that's really important. You know, again, if there's if there's one thing that sort of the general pilot, including the flight instructor, don't necessarily understand, it's it's a lot of the requirements um, from a health standpoint. I mean, pilots, we're good at a lot of things, but we also eat a lot of Cheetos and fast food and all kinds of other things, too. So what do we know about health? Uh, so professionals like you out there to sort of save us from ourselves and, and help us continue to, to stay in the air. I think that that's extremely important. Um, Keith, I know you're a bit time limited today. So um, before I uh, sort of usher us to the end of this, are there other things or is there anything else that stands out in regards to kind of the pilot on paper that we wanted to talk about with the FAA? What are we missing? Is there is there anything else that you want to uh, reference or mention? I think the big thing is also to understand that there are other resources as well. So Wingman Med, obviously, I like my company. We we're a good resource. Uh, but there are other resources out there. Um, good quality AMEs. Just know that not all AMEs are created equal. Just like not every pilot you know is an amazing pilot. Not every doctor is an amazing doctor. Not every AME is an amazing AME. So um, take care when you seek the counsel of an AME, because a lot of people say, well, just get do a consultation appointment with an AME. That is a great idea if they are a professional AME and they that is their business model. If they are a family medicine or internal medicine doctor who does maybe five exams a year, that is probably not the AME you want to get a consultation from because they are probably not up to speed on all of the current requirements. If it is an AME who just churns out, you know, 20 exams a day, they probably don't have time to do a consultation with you. So there's kind of this, how do you find the right AME to do a consultation with? Mm -hmm. And that can be difficult. Um, so there are services. There's services like ours. There are also a couple of other services. There's Pilot Medical Solutions and there's Aviation Medical Advisory Service. So those are comparable services to ours in terms of you know consultation services. So I don't want people to think that you know I'm not trying to say I'm the only game in town. I encourage people to you know cross shop. We do think that most people will come back to us um, because we are confident in our you know in the way we handle cases and the way we handle our clients. Um, but we are not the only game in town. So there are other folks out there who can help. Uh, and sometimes it's a good idea to get, you know, multiple points of view, but those are good resources that 
in general can be trusted. AOPA has some good resources. Now, AOPA will help you find information in the AME guide. They will not necessarily help you prepare. Uh, they do not have any physicians on staff. Uh, they do not. So if they don't have any physicians, they definitely don't have any AMEs on staff. So they are limited in their medical assistance, um, but they are also a very good starting point. Um, unfortunately, most of the time their advice is, oh, you'll have to you'll have to turn stuff in. But if you go to your exam, it'll get submitted and then the FAA will tell you what it is. If they tell you that, that's definitely when it's time to call somebody like me. Keith, I've got sort of one final question for you. And I, and I feel like this is something that, uh, that get, gets asked, uh, to me on, on several occasions. And I want to preface what I'm about to say by saying always honesty is the best policy. And certainly nobody here is going to advocate that you do anything unethical. So I'm going to preface it. However, is, uh, is, is there such a thing as like when you go on a check ride and the instructor tells the student, Hey, you know, don't, don't provide more information than you need to, you know, don't, don't dig yourself into a hole with the examiner. Is that such a thing on a, a medical exam? I mean, I'm not, again, not telling anybody to hide or lie any for anything, but is there such a thing as, Hey, I'm offering you too much information. Is that? Yes. And it's because some things are irrelevant and I'll give you a great example. We helped a client who he has diabetes and he had to provide an annual update from his doctor on his diabetes. Well, he provided that update and the FAA said, thank you for the update. Please surrender your medical. Mm. <laughs> and he didn't understand why. Well, in that update, and this is a, this is a problem with systems in efficiency. So doctors use a lot of electronic health records. Now, many systems are tied together in a hospital system. Well, long story short, this individual had an elbow surgery the year prior and was um, given some Percocet for five days after his elbow surgery. That medication stayed active on his documentation. So it was listed as an active medication with no discussion points, just listed as an active medication and sent to the FAA with the update about his diabetes. Well, you cannot have daily use of Percocet and fly an airplane. So that had to be explained. That is a very simple type of thing that should not have been disclosed to the FAA because he was not taking it. Did he need to disclose to the FAA that he had elbow surgery the year prior? Yes. Did he need to disclose that he took five days of Percocet? No, he did not. Definitely didn't need to disclose that he was still taking Percocet, right? right. So, so yes, there are things, right? You don't want to necessarily overshare, Um Where's that line? I don't know. That's that's a pretty broad band of gray, right? That's when I talk to you and ask you if it's okay. <laughs> exactly, right? Like, you know, some people will say current medications. Well, I didn't take that medication today as I fill this out. So no, I'm not taking any medications. That's, you know, that's clearly stepping over that line. You know, right. if, you, if you know you're taking medications and you just didn't take it today, as you answer that question, that is, you know, that is not an appropriate way to answer that question. So, right. Um, but in general, yes, you can accidentally overshare for things that are not relevant to your current status, but will cause problems if it appears like they're impacting your current status. 
Yeah, no, I, I appreciate you answering that because it, I think it is one of the most common questions we get. And and as instructors, you know, I've heard instructors tell students that and, and being sort of the gatekeepers of information as we are, we need to make sure that we understand that that what we're saying does carry weight. And and I don't want anybody to get the impression that we are are saying things that we shouldn't. So um, sure. I, I appreciate you clarif- clarifying that. Now, as we uh, sort of wind this down, I want NAFI members to remember with uh, Wingman Med, you get 20% off a medical consultation service. So we appreciate uh, you being generous with your services for, for NAFI members. Um, you guys have been great friends of ours so far. Um, and I mean, I say so far because we haven't been, been uh, partners that long, but for the time that we have, it's been wonderful. Um, you guys have a wonderful blog uh, that you share on a lot of the NAFI social media, and we appreciate that as well. I think that uh, the information on there is is very helpful for for those of us that uh, um, you know are hoping to understand some some medical issues a little bit more. Um, and uh, once again, if you didn't listen to our first podcast together, we we're talking about the importance of having the right. Uh, general physician and how that applies to sort of medical certification. Keith, I appreciate your time today. And uh, if there's anything else that uh, you'd ever want to share, we'd always love to have you come back. Okay. Thanks a lot. Now, if you remember, don't forget this month, Keith will also be on Mentor Live. So um, please join us for uh, that presentation here in January.